<laughs> All right. What's up, everybody? My name is Mark. I'm Allen Park Campus uh, Minister. Glad to be here with you today, especially everybody online, what's up at home, and everybody here in person. So if this is your first time, welcome to South Point, or maybe you're new around here. Welcome again. Um, Thank you for, um, it might have been a big step for you. Uh, maybe it was awkward to come to a place you don't know people, hear things maybe you don't know if you're going to agree with or like to hear. So thank you um, for taking the risk, the chance for being here. I also want you to know something. Like this is just, I found this in my life, but you don't have to, I hope that you come to experience this for yourself. Dude, we are a whole lot more in common than we realize. We are so much more in common than the differences that we think we have. Yeah, we may not believe or have the same beliefs on every little thing, conversation that we want, but man, we struggle with the same stuff. Same kind of struggle is real in all of our lives. I'm not saying this is your struggle. I'm just kind of sharing an example so that we can get into what we're going to talk about today. I, uh, my mom and dad were divorced. They were divorced when I was you know, in high school. And so um, when, when I, early on in marriage, my wife and I, when we argued, Yes, we argued, okay, and still do sometimes, okay? Um, we'll get to that. But when we would argue, I would think, uh-oh, <laughs> when my parents fought and they got divorced. So I thought I had to get rid of arguing. Got to get rid of the fighting because the fighting is what leads to divorce. And so I thought a healthy marriage is one that doesn't fight. So my job was to make sure there was peace at all times, which was like, okay, that's a great idea, except it's not possible, right? So it's dangerous, that idea uh, that I brought into, not even realizing I was thinking about it, just realized when I'm married, I was thinking it and trying to make it a reality was dangerous because I was afraid every single time we had an argument, we were going to get divorced. Anytime we had an argument, I had to shut it down because we can't argue because arguing is bad. It's a no-no. The reason I share that is because Sometimes, you know, like I've been noticing the last decade or so, and it's funny, and it's not funny, but it is funny, like dads, like think about TV shows, movies, I used to be dads were like these honorable men in our society, but now they're jokes, right? They're the butt of every single joke in sitcoms, TVs, movies, and trust me, (laughs) dads are easy to pick on because we're we're dumb a lot of times, okay? We do a lot of dumb things, and all the ladies' wives are like, yeah, I know because I live with one. I know it's true. We can do some really not-so-smart things and think it's funny when it's not funny. I get it. I apologize for all those things, and so we can be the butt of a lot of jokes, and we deserve that, but at the same time, what happens sometimes is because of our belief, like, yeah, dads are this, then sometimes what we begin believing is that, well, we don't need them. We don't need dads. We can deal without them. Let's just redefine, change things so we don't have to have them anymore, right? And sounds good, except not me. Go look at the stats. Fatherlessness is an epidemic. It's destroying families and neighborhoods. So sometimes... Our beliefs aren't good, aren't right, aren't helpful. Sometimes we had bad expectations, and out of our bad expectations, we tried to change things, to define things, to make me feel a little bit more comfortable, and we end up losing in the end, like hurting ourselves and others. Sometimes I think the same thing happens with the church. Up front, man, there have been, I have been more hurt in my life from people in the church than people outside the church. I've been hurt worse by people in the church than people outside the church. I don't know if you can associate with that. Let's just be honest. There's a lot of junk in a lot of churches. 
from hyper-emotionalism to wokeness to being this cultural sensitivity but being hypocrites. And then there's a lot of people who are just mean, say they're full of truth, but they're lacking a whole lot of grace. You got a bunch of messes and a bunch of churches, and sometimes we feel like we can't say that. Well, yeah, we can, because it's true. Some of my like heroes of my faith, like humans, let me down, like totally disappointed me, even betrayed me. What do you do with that when this stuff happens? Maybe you felt that. Maybe you've experienced that. Sometimes we try to get rid of it. I don't need it. I don't need that in my life anyways. Let's just get rid of it. Shoot, I don't even know if I need Jesus in the Bible thing. Because of other people's actions and mistakes and their lifestyles, then we begin to make decisions and change things and redefine things. And I'm afraid sometimes we throw things out that possibly might end up hurting you and the others around you as well. You know, those people who hurt me, the other thing is true about the church is this, that the church, people from the church were there when Cindy and I were struggling early in our marriage. People from the church were there when my grandfather died, when my grandmother died when bad things happened to me and my wife, and they treated my kids like their kids. Huh. Part of the reason why they hurt me so badly is because I cared about them so deeply. You know, biological family is great and it's wonderful, and friendships based on affinity and lifestyle and things like that are great and wonderful, but a relationship based on something other than that, like a choice based on the gospel, is deeper. And so both, you can be hurt more, but you also, man, you can experience more joy, more healing, more encouragement from a kind of relationship like that. They're both true. There's junk in the church, and there's also true that Christians are the most generous and helpful, starting the more churches and nonprofit charities to help more people in the world than anyone else over the history of time. Like these things are just reality at the same time. There's this stuff that, man, just isn't right doesn't seem right, but there's also, man, this amazing stuff. Can we see both? I'm afraid that sometimes when we see only one, it's okay to say it. We need to admit it because sometimes Christians, we can say, yeah, well, yeah, we're messed up. I mean, we're sinners saved by grace, so I can just keep on sinning. No, it's not a justification to keep doing what we're doing because some people see that and see it hypocrisy, and I don't blame them. Because sometimes I wonder, like, if I was in a ministry, would I go to church? <laughs> I don't know, maybe you've experienced that. Well, I have a feeling, I don't know if Paul would have said the same things I'm saying, but he's struggling with the same kind of people that we're struggling with. And this letter in 2 Corinthians that we're going through, he's talking about this. Like, the church has some issues, had some issues. What do we do? Do we throw it out? Do we just, you know what? Let's make it this perfect little snow globe. And I'll just attend. I'll just watch services online the rest of my life. I'll just attend on the weekend, not get involved, not get engaged, not, not plug in, not do anything to make it too uncomfortable because then I won't get hurt. And it's this pretty little snow globe I can always look at and say, oh, it makes me feel good in the moment. But then I'm also missing out on all the things that the church could do if I were, if I did allow it in. I don't want you to miss out because of others' mistakes. I don't want your family to miss out because of what other people have chosen to do. I don't want you 
and the people around you and your future family to miss out because of some of the things that churches have done. That's all. Our big idea is simple. Though God's people may let you down, remain faithful because our hope isn't in those people. It's in God. And so in the midst of this dichotomy, this reality of there is not great stuff and there is good stuff, how do we move forward? Paul speaks into this, uh, this ridiculousness. He recognizes it in the church. He calls it out and says this is ridiculousness. So it's okay to talk about it. But he also says, wait a minute. We don't throw it out. We don't change it. We don't redefine it. We change to it. And, and what I realized, just like in my family, my marriage, I didn't exactly know what healthy meant. I didn't exactly know what the church was. And so one person, a friend of mine, described it to me, and I've heard this before, but just one of the people that said it would, was like, you know, like when they got involved in the church more and more, especially in leadership serving and all these kind of, it was like Wizard of Oz maybe, like you open up and peek behind the curtain and you saw the real thing, what was going on behind it. I've heard people say that before. Like, oh man, I got to see in the inner workings of the church. Oh, and it's ugly. And it's like, okay, I get that. That's kind of true. But also, like, I'm not perfect. Like, sometimes people actually think that I don't get mad. And I don't, like, I'm not overly sarcastic with my wife sometimes. And I'm not a jerk sometimes. Like, you realize I'm a jerk sometimes, right? Like, because people call me or some people call me a minister or I might have a title and I work at, like, do you really think I'm perfect? I don't think you think that. But sometimes we think things and say things like, Oh, that surprises me. And then you say it to my wife, and my wife's like, are you joking me? Let me tell you. No, it's kidding, but go ask her. Trust me. I'm not all, I'm, I can be a jerk, man. And I say that because sometimes we just have these expectations of like, it's going to be different. Like, why would I not argue and disagree with the people that I serve with here? Because it happens in life when we're human sometimes. Like, I'm... I don't want to turn the church into this mythical picture that up on the wall, look, that's our family portrait. See, we're perfect. The snow globe, I sit on the shelf. I don't touch it, maybe shake it every once in a while just to see the snow come down. But that never changes. And in my mind, that's pretty and it helps me. But that's not real. Because all of us are real. We're humans. We make mistakes. And so when the church makes a mistake, what do we do? That's what I want to talk about. We need to talk about. And before we get into the last part of this letter that Paul says, I want to remind us because we've been in this letter for a while and sometimes we forget the why behind the what. We're talking about all of these things that are true and, and the what and the issues that we have. But in the very beginning of the letter in chapter one, Paul gave us one of the reasons he wrote this letter. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read, read and understand. Read and understand. And I hope you will fully understand just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. The purpose of this letter, and oftentimes I think this is the purpose of the church. One of the purposes of the church is to remind us and prepare us for the day of the Lord Jesus. That's not today, possibly. It definitely wasn't yesterday, but it's most likely in the future, the day of the Lord Jesus. And oftentimes, if we're just honest, we don't think about that. That's when Jesus comes back and ushers in the new kingdom, and we go to heaven, baby. That's what that is. The church exists, this letter was written to remind them to prepare us for that day. And if we're honest, we get caught up in this day a whole lot. 
today, what my wife just said, what my kids just said, what that church just did, and we make today everything. And so we fix today, but not with the mindset of the day of the Lord Jesus. Because the purpose, the point is to make sure that all of us can be excited on that day, not afraid, not guilt-ridden, but ready, like, yes, Jesus is back. Yes, we were faithful. Yes, we can high-five each other. Like, that's, that's the day. But if we're honest, I, I, I struggle sometimes to not think about just today. And so I act and I treat you based on today, not about then. And you see, the truth is I need the church. I need the church to remind me constantly of that day. I need the church to remind my kids to love my kids. My kids need the church, and I need you. And you need me. We need each other. But it's not that you need me to save you. You don't need me to help you and fix you. We need one another to remind one another of that day because there are so many days when I need to be reminded of that day. Mark, today stinks, but that day is coming. So make wise decisions today so that you can be paired on that day. What do we do with this church? Because if we throw it out, then I don't need to be reminded of that day possibly. I can do it myself. But that's not a reality because we can't do it ourselves. So you can see the danger here. So Paul, in this letter, says, I'm trying to prepare you for that day. Talking about the realities of this day, he starts this last part of this letter in, in verse 11, chapter 12. I have been a fool. You forced me to do it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to, those, to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Paul's been listing all the reasons why the Christians in Corinth should be listening to him. These so-called super apostles. They're not super. They were men that were coming in and deceiving them and manipulating them. And Paul's like, why? <laughs> why are you putting up with this ridiculousness? Why are you entertaining it, even being and participating in this ridiculousness? Paul's calling it out. He says, I'm an authoritative messenger of God and apostle. You can look. You saw all the signs and the wonders, the miracles that happened. Like you, you saw it. You were there when they happened. You know who I am. Who, I'm nothing, but you know. This stuff didn't happen with those guys. They didn't love you like we loved you. Why are you trusting them? Why are you following them? You made me say this because you're putting up with it. Have you ever been like with your kids or with your parents and like there's a moment where like maybe they say, you don't even love me. You don't, you don't care about what's best for me. You don't even know what's best for me. And I'm doing the hand because I've seen it so many times. Like, <laughs> Anyways, you may have a different hand gesture or whatever, but you know that moment. And like all of a sudden, like seriously, like I've got to prove to you that I love you seriously? And, and moms, dads, you're rolling your eyes because you know the kids do it. Kids, I know parents do it too, okay? So we're both culprits of this, right? Like, seriously, mom, I got to prove to you like I'm not a jerk every day of my life. Like, it was just this one moment, right? Like, I love you, mom. 
And then all of a sudden, in that moment, you feel like you have to go into this monologue, this beautiful soliloquy about, let me count the ways in which I love you and sacrifice for you. I've got a list right here of 50 ways. Last week, I sacrificed for you. See those shoes on your feet? Guess who paid for them? This guy right here, right? And so we just have a list of all the ways that I've sacrificed for you, I've served for you, I've loved and blah, 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 right? And maybe in your head you mean it in a loving way. Maybe it is at some point, I bet it becomes to be about proving yourself, right? And the other person, sometimes they hear it as if like, oh, you're not proving how much you love me, you're proving how much I'm wrong. And I'm not as cool as you. Paul's like, dude, what? You made me do this. I don't want to talk about this stuff. I loved you. It was obvious that I loved you. You can look at the way I lived around you. Why are we talking about this? Did you ever, but these people, these Corinthian Christians who had seen everything from Paul were still choosing and trusting these other people. Did, you, did, you, did your kids or mom, did your mom, dad ever tell you shame on you? Did you ever hear that phrase, shame on you? Hey, I did. I know I did. You know, again, I'm not always perfect. You know, <laughs> I, anyways, shame on you. Like sometimes we think shame is a bad thing. Like it's a word we should never use. That's I don't know. It can be overused, and you can be guilt trips. I'm sure that if you have a past where people have misused that, it's real. But shame isn't a bad thing, because if I did something shameful, I should feel shame for it and want to change. The dangerous thing is when I no longer feel shame for the shameful things that I do. Because then I don't change. I don't even feel the need to change. Paul's like, shame on you. Grow up, Christians. You know who I was. You know what you saw. You know what God's word says. And if you keep changing it just because it makes you feel better, then shame on you. That's what he's saying to them. You know better. Why are you following these? You know better. Shame on you. I need to hear that sometimes. Again, the church has issues because it's made up of people like us, and sometimes I'm the issue. Shame on me, Mark, for doing that. Paul's reminding him of this, and he goes on. He says, for in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden. For I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Listen, if you have a dysfunctional or abusive past, something like that, I'm not speaking into that, but just generically, if if they're good parents, not Christian or non-Christian, just good parents that have done their best to love their kids, they sacrifice, they do more, they do everything they can, they do and do and do and sacrifice for their kids, it's shameful to see kids that don't even respect their parents. That's shameful. To not even love your mom and dad who have sacrificed. Hey, listen, it's not about agreeing with everything they do to say that they're perfect and they're awesome. No, but to not love them, to not respect them, Paul, Paul loved them. He loved them. He, he gave himself up for them. He even said, I'm not going to charge you. Like, <laughs> he said, I didn't even take a collection up among you because he didn't want them to think he was after their money, which other people in the church were. He said, I cared about you, not your stuff. And now these super apostles are twisting and say, like, Paul doesn't even want your money. See, your money's not as good as those other Christians. See, he doesn't think as much as you as a, 
are you joking me? Like, that's definitely not our issue anymore because I don't think anybody would be upset with not having money. Like, the church is not... I think what we usually is like, wait a minute, like back in the medieval times when the clergy would put exorbitant taxes on the church to build these massive cathedrals and live exorbitant lifestyles while everybody else was poor. Or today when you have ministers, pastors that have multi-million dollar mansions and live lavish lifestyles, that is maybe what some of us struggle with. That doesn't seem consistent. There's an issue there. Paul's pointing this out. But I was there for you. And in the midst of this, pointing out some of the inconsistencies among Christians, he makes this statement that I just, we got to catch it because this is powerful. It's verse 15. He says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I'll keep spending. I'll keep coming. I'll keep allowing you to say things that aren't true about me. I'll keep because I love you. You're like my kids. I'm going to keep being spent for you. There's nothing that you can do to stop me from loving you and sacrificing for you. Notice why. Why does he say that? Not because so that they will obey him or think he's awesome or, you know, hashtag or tweet his name all the time. He does it because of their souls. He cares about their souls. Remember, first chapter, he said it's because of the Lord, the day of the Lord Jesus that he's writing this. He cares more about their souls than what they do to him or have done. Understand this. Houston, <laughs> we have a problem when the church stops caring about souls, when Christians stop caring about souls. And it's so easy to say, well, that's not me, and that's not us. And yet, can you look at your social media post honestly and say, you know what? Yep, I care more about people's souls than my opinions. It got real hard, didn't it? My language outside of this building. My relationships outside of this building. Am I willing? Do I care about other people's souls or about proving my points and my opinions? Do I care more about my kids obeying me and making my life more easy or their souls? Do I care about attending a church or being the church? And these are the things that I got to start asking because can you honestly say what Paul said? Can I honestly say what Paul said? I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Do we care about other souls? Because once again, the purpose of the church is to prepare us for the day of the Lord Jesus. And that's a soul issue. And so if I care about your soul, I have to care about the church. If I care about my soul, I have to care about the church. I have to stand on God's word. It can't be about how I can conform it to be. It has to be about how I conform it to it, to the gospel, because I can't save anybody. Only God's word can so then I have to 
because I want to be ready for the day of the Lord Jesus, and I want you to be ready for that day too, because no matter how you may have treated me or what you're wearing or what you posted, I just want you to know how much God loves you, and I want your soul to be saved. And sometimes, if I'm honest, I know Paul feels this way, and sometimes I feel this way. Like, maybe I care more about your families than you do sometimes, or your relationships with others and your kids than you do sometimes. Have you ever felt that? Think about your eternity and where you're going to spend the rest of your eternity more than you do. Paul's like, I care about your soul. We're getting so caught up in all of this today. Have we lost sight of our souls? We get so caught up in our opinions and our our words that I'm not even thinking about the other person's soul. Church, that's a problem if we don't care about people's souls. And before I can point my finger at you, I need to allow the Holy Spirit to convict me. Mark, do you care about people's souls? Or about getting attention, sounding good, getting people to like you? Do you care about your kids' souls? Got to look inward. Am I obedient to God's word? Or do I change it to make sure people still like me? That's how we begin to fight for the church. To change starts with me and then you. And I stand on God's word because we can't change it to conform to us. We conform to his word. He goes on to say, but granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and for all your upbuilding beloved. Another question I want to ask you. Man, this is is a big one. Are you willing to ask that question? Paul, once again, they're just saying they're using everything they can against him. And Paul says, listen, I don't need to answer your question. All he said was, how did I live when I was around you? How did I act when I was with you? You saw What about Titus? What about the rest of us? When we were among you, what did you see? How did we treat you? Were we hypocrites? Are you willing to ask that question? I don't need to defend myself. I'm going to live in such a way that you can look at my life and have your answer. I can't change anybody, but I can allow God to change me. Are we willing to say that? Are you willing to ask that question? To want that to be true of you? Are we okay with changing the expectations? Changing the purpose of the church just a little bit, tweaking it to make me feel a little bit more comfortable. Wanting to conform once again the gospel to me instead of conforming to the gospel. And I get it. There are churches that are doing that, that care more about, seems like, because I don't know them, I just seems like they care more about butts in the seat and dollars than they do about people's souls. Seems like there are churches that talk about building their kingdom instead of building God's kingdom. They're okay with treating people not like Jesus would have treated people and saying they're full of truth but lacking grace. At the same time, that seems like there are people who 
just want to go to church, but not be the church, and want to hear, but not become like Jesus. You know, people today sometimes do the same things that they were doing back there, like diminishing Paul's words. And so there's sometimes people like that in certain Bibles, you know, Jesus's words are in red print. Sometimes people say there's red letter Christians. And it's like that Jesus's words are the words that matter the most. And so like all the other words, like Paul's words don't matter as much. They're still putting Paul down in a sense today. Jesus's words are awesome and amazing, right? But Paul, when he talks about things, it's not authority. We don't need to listen to it anymore. It's interesting that typically when people say that, it's about the things that we don't agree with when he's calling sin out in our lives. In relationships and sexuality and sexual immorality and gender and all these things where it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know if I like that. Well, Jesus didn't talk about that, so... And we push Paul's words down. But the truth is all scripture is God-breathed. It's God's words, red letters, black letters. They're all God's words. Once again, am I willing to be conformed to God's word or do I want to twist it to conform to me? And the danger with that, because it sounds so good, except if I want to be prepared for the day of the Lord Jesus, I'm not very good at saving people. I don't think you would say you are either. So to use my beliefs and my thoughts to say that this is what the world needs to be saved is dangerous. And so possibly I'm exchanging something today that's going to affect my eternity and those around me. Once again, do we care about people's souls? Do I care about my soul? Do I care about my kids' souls? Then I'm not just go to a church. I'm going to be. I'm going to allow God to do what he needs to do in me. Paul goes on and gives us the why once again, for I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, gossip, slander, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again my God may humble me before you and I may take, I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. He's afraid that he's going to, when he gets there, there won't be repentance. And then nobody's going to be happy because Paul's going to have to talk to them about it and they're not going to like Paul talking to them about it and then they're going to get into an argument probably and there's probably going to be believe who they got offended. Well, but that's what he's, he just knows it's probably going to happen because it happens. It happens today. I love this church, man. I love the music. I love the messages. They leave me inspired. I love coming here. I feel this, the cookies, the blah, blah, blah. I love this. I love the kids. I love this. But as soon as we talk about something that offends, right? You know that in your own personal life too. People are your friends. They're your friends until. It's exactly what he was experiencing. The danger is this. Once again, he says, the proof in the pudding, <laughs> in a sense, is, is repentance. It's like that shame. It's that grief. If I don't demonstrate grief, shame for these sins that I have, not just the big ones that everybody can see, but what about the gossip and the lying and the jealousy and the anger and these little bitty things that I can hide from everybody? If there's not true repentance, then God's not doing his work in me. And so I can be calling out everybody else, but I'm not allowing God to do what he needs to do right here. That's dangerous. Because the one thing that I know I can be sure of is that if God is doing his work in me, there's going to be continual repentance in my life. Earlier in chapter 7, Paul said this, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to what? 
salvation, the day of the Lord Jesus, without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. I try to twist things and get rid of shame, get rid of guilt, get rid of sin. Makes me feel so good today. It leads to death on the day of the Lord Jesus. But grief, conviction from the Holy Spirit, leads to salvation. Again, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want anyone to not like me. I don't want any of those things. But I have to care about your soul more than anything else, and I hope that you care about my soul. The church has issues, no doubt about it. We need to call them out like Paul, but also even those churches, even those Christians, even the ones that hurt me, betrayed me, how do I treat them? Do I care more about their soul? Or do I allow God to do what he needs to do in me to bring repentance in my life? That's how we fight it, church. That's how we begin to change. Restore the church. Make her beautiful once again because she is unique. She is beautiful. She is powerful. Jesus said nothing will stop this church because it's not mine, it's his. And Jesus God loves his church. It's his bride. So be careful. Be careful about talking about his church too badly. Be careful about trying to throw it out because maybe, just maybe, it's actually gonna hurt you and those around you. Our big idea, once again, a big idea. Though, though God's people may let you down, remain faithful because our hope is in God. Listen, I don't want you to put your hope in me and this church we want you to put your hope in God, his grace, Jesus Christ, his death, uh, his life, death, resurrection. That's where hope is found. And what we find is that, man, he does what we cannot do. His Holy Spirit can change us. And so church, believers, Christians, don't allow, don't allow that phrase, I'm a sinner saved by grace to give you justification for what you post, what you say. Do you care about people's souls? Proof is in the pudding. Do I see continual repentance and I see evidence in my life that I care about people's souls more than proving that I'm right? And when we do that, the world will take notice, may not agree, but at least we'll be the church. Please don't just hide yourself and like allow the church to be this painting on the wall, this picture, this snow globe that I can just look at every once in a while. Get in, yes, you're probably gonna be disappointed at times. You'll probably find disillusionment at times, but you're also gonna find something that you can't find anywhere else. Relationships based on the gospel, relationships with other people who have been conformed and transformed by the Holy Spirit, it's just different. I thought about giving up, you know, tapping out. Not, not just like the ministry, I mean like church. But I know that day is coming. And I want to be prepared for it. And I want my kids to be prepared for it. And I want them to know that it's not going to be easy because this life isn't easy. And that when there's struggles and disappointments, you can still trust Jesus because he's worth it. And he's bigger than what we struggle so if you, maybe, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have a time of response and there's multiple ways you can respond. Um, if you wanna talk to someone about Jesus, maybe you're ready to say yes to Jesus. Like, ah, I wanna, I wanna say yes to Jesus. Then text us, email us your name. The information will be on the screen. Um, at the, the song here in a few minutes, there's gonna be some of our friends up front. You can talk to them about saying yes to Jesus. We have water up here, towels, everything you need to be baptized, which means to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior and then to experience forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit so that you can be confident that when he comes, that day of the Lord Jesus, I wanna be ready for that. 
Today you can be for that. That could be a way that you need to respond today. Maybe you're a Christian already and it's communion during this time and during this time you're gonna be able to take that or partake of communion. It's a meal that Jesus said to do this in remembrance of him. We do this each week here at South Point. You probably got a cup when you came in. On one side it's a little piece of bread and the other side's juice. Bread represents his body. Juice represents his blood that he sacrificed for us. Listen, Jesus loves the church. He sacrificed his life for the church. So the church is a big deal to him. Even though it can have some messed up stuff in the church, he loves the church and Christians. That probably means that to be the church, we're gonna have to sacrifice because our leader did. So maybe during this time, we need to think about, hey God, have I not been allowing you to convict me? Have I been pushing away guilt and sin? Maybe we need to say we're sorry. Ask for forgiveness. And then be, allow the Holy Spirit to transform us and live differently through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, some of you have already, you, you give here to this church. If you're new, listen, when I ask anything, it's those that call this place their home. We give because we see the power, the possibility, the purpose of the church. The church. So may thank you for your giving or maybe you're gonna give, I don't know, but this, I know last week two more people said yes to Jesus and we're baptized into Christ. So we celebrate that because two more people are confident on the day of the Lord Jesus and that's our purpose. So here's what we're gonna do. The band's gonna come out here in a moment and we're just gonna have, a, we're gonna have that time of reflection and communion. And then we're gonna sing a song and during that, I pray, I'm gonna be praying that we all leave here in one accord like the song we sang earlier. Your way is better, man. Your way is better. Would you pray with me? Hey, God, thank you so much for loving us, making it very clear of who you are, what you've asked from us, making it very clear that, God, we have sinned, but your son came on this earth, lived a perfect life, died a death that he did not deserve, and your Holy Spirit, God, you raised him from the dead, so now all who confess the name of Jesus were baptized in the name of Jesus. Lord, we are forgiven of our sins. And we have the gift of the Holy Spirit that transforms us, that doesn't just nudge us and encourages us, but transforms us. And so God, we repent. If we're believers in this room or watching online, we repent for when we are not that church, when we don't allow you to convict us and don't respond in rep repentance. Maybe that's what we need to do today. Please, Lord, allow your Holy Spirit to convict us right now. God, if maybe some are listening that have never said yes to Jesus. And I pray that they're beginning to see that, no, it's honest. We can be okay and confess that, man, the church is messed up sometimes. But maybe it's more of like people in the church. And so we, I'm gonna begin to choose to believe that I can maybe, I wanna, I wanna begin to believe that the church is good the way that you intended it. I wanna learn what the church is and maybe I need to understand what my false expectations were and what the church is really supposed to be. God, no matter what, I pray, Lord, my prayer is this, that we would leave this place beginning to say or believe, your way is better, man. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.